Welcome to this week's episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, where I'm featuring a few minutes from the top five most listened to clinician interviews of 2021. You will hear from Eric Burke, CEO of Atlas Healthcare Partners, Dr. Rasa Abdul of the Center for Pediatric Dentistry, Dr. Jonathan Johnson of Comprehensive Wound Care Services and Capital Aesthetic and Laser Center, and the two-part episode with Dr. Alejandro Badia from Badia Hand to Shoulder Center, the Surgery Center at Doral, and the OrthoNow Immediate Orthopedic Care Center. So welcome to today's episode. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities and future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Episode 51, Lowering the Cost of Care for Hospitals, Patients and Offering Investment Opportunities to Physicians. If you really think about healthcare, it's a big ecosystem. And, you know, how do you try to connect the dots of the delivery network? And a surgery center fits into that as part of the much broader banner network. And that's ultimately a big benefit to the surgery center and to the physicians involved. All the centers are branded as banner surgery center, which I think is a, a quality stamp. I think it gives patients and physicians more confidence in terms of the product that they'll receive. So it's, it's a great partnership. That's the whole point of a, a surgery center partnership. And our model is that, you know, there's the health system partner, which is Banner, the management company partner, which is Atlas, and then all the physician partners. And everybody brings value and benefit to the relationship. Welcome to this week's episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, where I interview Eric Burke, CEO of Atlas Healthcare Partners. Atlas owns and operates ambulatory surgery centers together with Banner Health throughout its markets. We talk about the ASC's role in the healthcare ecosystem, as well as Atlas's business model, where it not only offers a convenient location for its patients and a lower cost of care for both the hospital and the patients, but also allows the physicians a convenient way to perform its cases, as well as be entrepreneurial investors in both the operation and the real estate. So welcome, Eric, and I hope you enjoy this interview. Thank you. Eric, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Thanks, Trisha. I appreciate it. So we initially met when you were with another ASC operator, and now you're with Atlas Healthcare Partners. So tell me the background of Atlas. Yeah, thanks. That's a good question. So my career has really been largely in outpatient surgery center development and management. We had an opportunity in 2018 to work with Banner Health. They were looking to develop an outpatient surgery center network and strategy and asked us, uh, me and my partner Vaughn, to start Atlas basically as a, a new company to be that partner for them. And as part of that partnership, we manage all of their surgery centers, which their markets are all of Arizona, primarily Phoenix and Tucson, but 
I do think that'll expand into other parts of Arizona over time, as well as northern Colorado, the Greeley, Fort Collins, Loveland area. Banner's also acquired a hospital in eastern Wyoming, which will probably be added to the market as well. So we manage their centers for them, which we can talk about in more detail. And then yeah. uh, we also help them with their surgery center strategy, which leads to the development of the network. Um, so we've helped them acquire multiple new centers to add to the network and then develop from a de novo greenfield standpoint, new centers. So our role is to develop, manage, and then co-own the centers with Banner and physicians. Well, and I know many listening will already know uh, what an ASC does, but for those that don't, how does um, an outpatient surgery center operator like Atlas Healthcare Partners benefit a health system you know, like Banner or Physician Group in owning and operating the ambulatory surgery center um, or ASC for short? Yeah, that's a good question. So we provide the, the day-to-day management and operations expertise and support. And so our team um, does everything operationally from helping to identify new physicians who are looking for a a place to do surgery. You know, the the benefits of surgery centers are significant, but, you know, they're they're convenient for the surgeon and the physicians, as well as the patient. You don't have to go to typically a large hospital. There's easy parking, you're you're in and out. And so it's, it's a very efficient, convenient experience for both physician and patient. And then it's um, high quality. You know, I believe that our quality in a lot of ways is um, is higher than what you'd find in an acute care setting because all we do is outpatient surgery, whereas hospitals obviously do other things. You know, there's higher risk of infection. There's obviously now with COVID, you know, I think we are, we're COVID free. We test all patients prior to day of uh, service. So I think we provide that that quality that everybody's looking for. And then additionally, you know, it's it's more affordable. The industry is really moving outpatient because of cost more than anything. The insurance companies obviously see that there's a, a savings opportunity for them. The patients are now being stuck with the bill more and more. So between co-insurance and deductibles, patients are becoming consumers and they're looking for lower cost options. And then physicians are, are able to invest into surgery centers. They're more convenient for the doctors, more efficient, plus they can have a financial return on their investment. So they they believe that surgery centers are a better option for them more and more. And then the health systems themselves, Banner included, now sees that really healthcare is being delivered through a network and it doesn't all run through a centralized acute care hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Banner is trying to build out a network of providers, you know, facilities and physicians and other clinicians that can treat you where you need to be treated. So, you know, the right price at the right time to keep you as healthy as possible. And Banner's also invested into insurance products themselves. And so that cost of care is, is now something that they're, they're motivated to really bring down as well. So what we do is provide the professional management of the surgery center. And there's a lot that goes into management of it. You know, we do everything from that support and oversight to <laughs> providing the, uh, the accounting, the financial reporting, um, the payroll, the legal support, the compliance, the HR services, all the employees are Atlas employees, including the nurses, the, the techs, everybody who works in the center is an Atlas employee. 
So we manage the HR, the benefits, uh, the payroll, everything that goes with that. The IT, we ensure that all the systems are in place and working properly. Um, clinical support to ensure that that safety and quality is at the highest level. The marketing for the center to ensure that they can continue to grow, add more physicians, add more cases. Managed care support, which is a really big benefit of the partnership with Banner, is that we're able to contract with the insurance companies as an affiliate of Banner Health, which allows us to, I think, have um, ultimately more size and scale when we're negotiating than as a single surgery center. But we provide that that strategic expertise, purchase services, you know, how you contract for various services within the center, the revenue cycle, which is all the coding, billing, collections um, aspect. We also help with the supply chain, the physician credentialing, the the workforce management. So there's a lot that goes into managing a, a surgery center, and we provide that basically full service. Episode 43, A Dentist's Journey Through Healthcare Real Estate Ownership. I think the positives are always, of course, in, in real estate that you own. My dad, I've learned so much from him. He always said to me, buy real estate now and regret it later. <laughs> So I think owning your own real estate, of course, is is the best thing. And if you especially work in it as well, because at, at the end of it, you know, yes, there are, I mean, I've attended courses where they talk about the tax benefits of renting and not having to worry about anything and so on. But at the end of it, you know, 15 year, 25, 35, 40 year career, you have that property that's accumulated a lot of wealth in it and the value of it is much higher. This week's episode is a conversation with Dr. Rasa Abdul, a pediatric dentist regarding his practice called the Center for Pediatric Dentistry located in Gilbert, Arizona. Our discussion includes his path to pediatric dentistry and his philosophy on care. Dr. Abdul shares with us how he finally opened a new practice in his current building that he owned for several years prior. He strategically located his practice near where he lives, realizing the financial benefits of ownership, and we discuss how he delegates the day-to-day ownership tasks to a professional property management company. I hope you enjoy listening to this interview as much as I enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Abdul. Please join me next week for my interview with Robin Farman-Farmain, a health technology expert, entrepreneur, and public speaker. Rasa, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Excellent. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for agreeing to this interview. I'm excited for you to share with the listeners your experience as a pediatric dentist and being a physician owner of your own property where you operate your dental practice. Yes. So tell me a little bit about uh, the Center of Pediatric Dentistry in Gilbert, Arizona. How long have you been in business? And you know, specific to your practice, I think being in that location, it targets a lot of growing families. Definitely, definitely. Well, I've been practicing now as a pediatric dentist for over 24, 25 years. Um, I had another practice that uh, I sold, which was a rental. I was renting that property, and I sold that a few years ago, stayed on board, worked as an associate, and then decided to do my practice all over again. And I thought, what better place than my own building that I had owned for a few years? Uh, Because when I was looking around, it was really tough getting a good rent, um, a decent rent. So I thought, why not just go into my own property? So this idea started in 2019 early and then to late 2019 is when we actually opened up the practice uh, December of 2019 and of course worked for a few months and COVID happened and here we are. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah, COVID has thrown us all for a loop for sure. So when you talk about uh, just, I want to touch on the real estate a little bit, then I want to talk about your practice a little more. But um, you know, with regard to the rental rates, what I have found too, if, if you recall building this out, you know, your price per square foot for your improvements is probably north of well north of one hundred dollars a square foot. Correct. And so, you know, you when you're thinking about leasing, you know, you're paying the lease rate, you'll get some of that tenant improvement from the landlord for the lease, but probably not that much, maybe half. So, you know, investing in this also saves you some money in the fact that because you have to invest so much in your tenant improvement build out, it makes a lot of sense to own your own space. It, it definitely did in my case too, because when I was searching for a uh, rental property, of course, I noticed that the uh, areas that I wanted to be in, the, the bigger, more popular, denser areas, um, the rent was high. But for some reason, these corporations were really not giving you much tentative improvement. And if I want a tentative improvement, a good amount, I had to go into properties that are more, of course, like medical dental. I really wanted to be in bigger plazas and uh, shopping areas and so on. So I noticed that difference. And I thought, you know what, if I go into my own building that I own, obviously, you know, I'm paying myself. So it's an investment that I get to keep and write off and so on. So yeah, it was a no brainer. I mean, I, I did kind of dabble on whether I should go into my own property or rent a property for a few months. But at the end of it, it was just a win-win for me to just go into my own property. And did you intend to be in Gilbert? Was that something strategic that you thought of or because um, Gilbert is growing? Or Yeah, the growth definitely did influence my decision, but I live at the border of Chandler and Gilbert. So I, I did not want to travel far, but also I had the uh, restrictive uh, miles from the previous uh, office. So I had to move a certain distance away, which worked out great because then, you know, kind of Gilbert is a place where my office was too. So I thought that like everything just turned out for, in my case, that it was a win-win and it worked out for me at the end. Nice. Nice. Well, let's talk about your practice a little bit. So when you went into dentistry, did you intend to focus on, on children's dental health care and oral disease prevention? No, honestly, my, my goal was just to get to dental school and get accepted and pass the years and, you know, make it through, um, but on my second year, I remember when we were put on rotations, um, I went to an adult clinic and I thought, oh, God, this this is not what I want to do. I do not want to deal with adults and their mouths. And there has to be another way. I, I honestly debated about dropping out, but um, I found out that there's a, such thing as pediatric or orthodontics. So and I, I always enjoyed uh, being around kids and working with kids and helping kids. So. I kind of got drawn to that. And uh, my third year, I requested to work at a pediatric office to kind of get the feel for it. And of course, I fell in love with it. And I decided after dental school to do residency in pediatrics. And my, my uh, residency was really nice because we were kind of dual trained with orthodontics as well. So I got kind of the best of both worlds, pediatric and orthodontics. After pediatric dentistry, I decided to join the Air Force and serve active duty. So that was a interesting thing too, because I served the Air Force as a pediatric dentist. So I saw the dependence. Oh, very nice. Overseas. I was stationed in Japan. Episode 46, the story of an entrepreneur, wound care clinician, and property owner.
to be perfectly honest, Trisha, the one thing that I wish I would have done differently is that I did a lot of moving, quote unquote, moving and shaking at one time. You know, I literally, you know, purchased a couple things all at the same time, which I, in retrospect, I shouldn't have done because it just takes a lot out of you and it puts a lot of stress on you. The other thing I would make sure that you focus on as far as building and having your own space is start small with any type of changes that you're doing. I went gun ho and just did a huge build out and elaborate this and elaborate that, which I should have just, you know, painted the walls one year, did the floor the next year, did some countertops, you know, that third year until you get to the point where it's not affecting your cash flow because now you have to make sure you're taking care of every single one of your liabilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it just helps alleviate stress and, you know, just working hard and praying about it is really literally the only way I made it through and having a great team. But I would definitely say buy the building, 100% get your space and then start small with your projects for renovations or, or upgrading or making the office more aesthetically pleasing instead of doing it all at once. Today, I interviewed Jonathan Johnson, a private practice physician based out of Washington, D.C. He is a wound care doctor, and he owns and operates two private practices, Comprehensive Wound Care Services and Capital Aesthetic and Laser Center. We walk through his journey from medical school to private practice and why he owns the property where he operates his practices out of in the Foggy Bottom area of Washington, D.C., He shares with us the changes he has made to his practice to adapt to his patients' needs, a strategy to grow in the future based on where healthcare is heading, and we discuss the value he places on educating others on wound care to achieve the best outcome. So a warm welcome to Dr. Johnson, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Thank you. Jonathan, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell me about your two private practices, comprehensive wound care services Mm -hmm. that you called, I think, Dr. Wound and um, and Capital Aesthetic Laser Center. And you're all based in Washington, D.C., right? Yes, 100%. So Capital Aesthetic and Laser Center, we are a aesthetic-based clinic. I am in the aesthetics and wound care uh, specialty practice. So we have an in-office aesthetics practice where we do non-invasive aesthetic procedures, and we also have an in-office wound care practice. We have a telemedicine-based wound care practice, which is under the moniker Dr. Wounds. And then we also have a mobile wound care service where we round in different nursing homes and take care of patients that have issues with wounds at those facilities. So it's a little, uh, little extensive, but, you know, we like challenges. So why did you choose the location you did for your practice, the physical location you have for your clinic? You know, typically wound care clinicians focus on taking care of patients uh, in either wound care clinics or they take care of patients in nursing homes, long-term care, et cetera. We had a really large following of patients that were being discharged and wanted an office-based resource where they could come and continue their care and we could have a great continuity of care. So we picked the foggy bottom area of Washington, D.C., Uh, It's a great area. We are literally right across the street from the George Washington College campus. So that is a great resource for our aesthetics and some of our facials and some of our non-invasive procedures. Uh, And we're also five blocks away from GW Hospital, 
So some of our patients, once they're discharged, they can come see us as well. We strategically located our office in a medical-based building. So the majority of the tenants that are in this building are medical-based. So it's a great referral source for us and for others that are specialists in the field. Very nice. That's common. I think when you're you're locating a medical practice, you don't want to have to have your patients go through law firms or title companies. And oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> of course, hundred percent. They they don't want to. We don't want. We want to stay as far away from law firms as possible. That's a bad word in healthcare law firms. <laughs> you don't want to talk about malpractice insurance. <laughs> no, no, knock on wood, knock on wood. Uh, I'm currently practicing in D.C., Virginia, Maryland, and New York. So malpractice insurance is ridiculous, obviously. (laughs) That is crazy. Tell me about that. So how do you practice in all of those states? Well, I'm licensed in 11 different states. And the majority of the reason that I'm licensed in 11 different states is because our wound care practice continues to expand. And we want to make sure that we have a footprint in states that need our help. And in order, obviously, to do business in those states, you need a medical license. Uh, So that's number one. Number two, with the COVID outbreak, we're able to service patients from a telemedicine-based standpoint. And in order to service those patients uh, in the future, I feel that you're going to need a medical license in that specific state, regardless if you're physically there or if you have a physical location in that specific state. Currently now, CMS allows you to see patients cross state lines, uh, but I think when everything gets back to normal, those regulations will tighten just a little bit, but still allow us to practice cross state lines from a telemedicine standpoint, as long as you have a license. I think that's a great vision. It's great because it allows you to grow and expand and scale, and it also helps you to be able to see as many people as you can and provide the best care. Absolutely. It's interesting. My my last interview um, was with a woman who she does a lot on thought leadership, and she was discussing mm-hmm. how practices adapting to the new healthcare economy, where consumerism by patients is increasing, you know, based on you know more healthcare costs being transferred to them. So, you know, I see that you do a lot with educational videos um, yes. and outreach and everything for helping your patients have a resource, I think, either Mm -hmm. to learn about you before they become a patient or after they become a patient. And you also provide that education, you know, to other clinicians and I think for your facilities that you partner with. So so what made you think of putting that out there in order to, to help expand your business? So education is key. And I think that education is something from a healthcare standpoint that needs to continually be passed down or spread, you know, everyone needs to have correct education and the most recent education because you want to make sure that the patients have the best care they can. The whole educating and wanting to educate comes from my mom, who was a educator. Uh, She's a Fulbright scholar and was a Spanish professor for a while. My grandfather was a teacher and a lot of the My family members are from teachers on my father and my mother's side. So it's kind of an intrinsic quality. But to be perfectly honest, Tricia, the most important thing with education is your confidence in what you know. Episode 41, A Clinician's Perspective on Healthcare, Part 1 of 2. That was definitely in my mind, but I'm also very centrally located now. It's a small city uh, called Doral. It's just west of the airport. It's right near the Trump Doral Hotel. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, the, the interesting thing is it's in the, the only real industrial area of Miami-Dade County. So I'm literally minutes away from a bunch of manufacturing facilities. The, there's about 400 aviation companies, flowers that come in from Latin America and they get packaged here. So all these, at least for me as a hand surgeon, you typically only work a few minutes from here. It just makes sense. Uh, I mean, before I was in a very residential part near one of the big hospitals, but my patients were traveling. This location really makes a lot more sense. I'm very excited to bring you the next two weeks of episodes interviewing Dr. Alejandro Padilla. Dr. Padilla is an orthopedic surgeon focusing on hand and upper extremities based out of Miami, Florida. He operates Padilla Hand to Shoulder Center, the Surgery Center at Doral, and OrthoNow, an immediate orthopedic care center. During the pandemic, he finished his book called Healthcare from the Trenches, an insider account of the complex barriers of U.S. from the provider's and patient's perspective. His goal is to generate awareness and educate us on how insurance companies and government regulation are causing healthcare costs to skyrocket and how it affects a clinician's ability to provide care. Alejandro, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. First off, I feel I need to apologize for calling you a provider after reading your book. I'm just not sure how to connect clinician with a real estate term off the top of my head right now, but uh, uh, apologies if that's inappropriate. But uh, I didn't know until reading your book how it's better to uh, term to call physicians clinicians than providers. Yeah, well, it's, that's why that's why I put it in quotes. But it's become a um, it's sort of insurance term, which I understand, right? Because we, we're providing that care, but I think it's important what our, our role is in society and for, for patients, actually, most physicians still like to be called doctor. I mean, it's, it's you know, moving too far away from those Marcus Welby days. <laughs> yeah. So just so my, um, the audience knows, you know, a little bit about you, you're a hand and upper extremity orthopedic surgeon. And how many years have you been in private practice? And how many years did you work uh, at a hospital? Yeah, it's a quarter century now. I've always been in private practice. I uh, have a lot of for my colleagues going to academia where they're teaching more and more research, but but I've done those roles and I think you can do that in private practice. And um, one of my concerns is that is a kind of a dying of the, the pressures that, that I talk about in the book. So I've always been in practice. I co-founded a group called Miami Hand Center, which, which uh, grew to the point where like many physician practices disbanded like divorce, but it's all good. And I started my own center and then afterwards, I got a need for something beyond my practice, which I'm sure we'll talk about, which is ortho now. So my hand and upper limb practice called the Dia Hand to Shoulder Center. All right. So you're based in Miami, Florida. And like you said, you have three companies. You have your private practice clinic. You've got a surgery center. And then is it urgent care and ER or just an ER for orthopedics? Well, you know, it, the, the term is orthopedic urgent care, but what's interesting is we, we moved away from that term because people assume that it's urgent and it, it isn't. We have people coming in with, you know, two years of back pain. I want to be seen. So what it is, is easy access. So we call it orthopedic walk-in center. And then uh, reading your book, uh, you started these as an entrepreneur to make the most efficient use of your time and make your surgery schedule more efficient for you and, and take more control of your compensation as well as provide better care for your patients. And I'm assuming at uh, more economical costs than going to the doctor or, as you mentioned, um, going through the route of the primary care physician first just to go through a bunch of unnecessary therapy and, and things like that. Yeah, there's just uh, so many hurdles that patients have to jump over to get care nowadays. And it's... Uh... 
because I see a lot of international patients and ironically, they go through less of that than we do. So we're we're continuously making our own healthcare system more complex, even though I, I firmly believe as a proud American that we really have some of the best, if not the best healthcare in the world, but that it, it's become so cumbersome. So that was a goal that, well, at least with ortho now, is for people to start the journey in the right place. And then if, if something is complex or then they would be routed to somebody like myself. If it's a knee problem, they would see my colleague who sees almost exclusively knee problems, right? I mean, kind of who you want treating, you know, if you have a, a, you know, if you have a liver problem, you want to get to that liver specialist, right? That's the paradox about healthcare is people think that the specialists are more expensive. Um, you know, Atul Gawande, who I love his books, but he just came out with an article talking about primary care. And yes, we need primary care doctors, of course, but medicine's become so complicated that I, I really believe the role of specialty care needs to increase because paradoxically, it's actually less costly in many cases because we, we actually order less tests. We just have a gestalt for what the problem is. So that genesis of, of kind of me building this center where patients come here, they park right here. I'm looking at the parking lot. They walk in and they, they get the right care. And that's become um, almost an ethereal, nebulous kind of thing to achieve nowadays. And it shouldn't be that way. Well, and I see that your uh, clinic is strategically located by the Mi- Miami International Airport. Is that to make it easy for people to fly in and see you, I'm, I'm assuming? Yeah, um, that that was definitely in my mind, but I'm also in, in very centrally located now. It's a small city uh, called Doral. It's just west of the airport. It's right near the Trump Doral Hotel. <laughs> uh, and uh, the interesting thing is it's in the, the only real industrial area of Miami-Dade County. So I'm literally minutes away from a bunch of manufacturing facilities. There's about 400 aviation companies here. There's 100 flower businesses, flowers that come in from Latin America and they get packaged here. So all these, at least for me as a hemp surgeon, typically only work a few minutes from here. Just makes sense. Uh, Before I was in a very residential part near one of the big hospitals, but most of my patients were traveling to get there. So it just... This, this location really makes a lot more sense. Episode 42, A Clinician's Perspective on Healthcare, Part 2 of 2. And I think that, that requires the public talking about it. I mean, if we could talk about the problems in healthcare as much as we did about, you know, something as, as unfortunate as racial injustice, but, but think about how much it's on the public mind now. Now, I'm not suggesting that we burn <laughs> or break windows, right? But I think that we, we really need to talk about this on social media. And I can tell you that I, I have a Facebook, a group called Healthcare from the Trenches, and I'm trying to encourage this banter. And if, believe me, there are people who certainly disagree with me, but that's great because that encourages us to dialogue and learn and improve because the status quo is, is just not acceptable. This week's episode is part two of my interview with Dr. Alejandro Padilla. Dr. Padilla is an orthopedic surgeon focusing on hand and upper extremities based out of Miami, Florida. He operates Padilla Hand to Shoulder Center, the Surgery Center at Doral, and Ortho Now, an immediate orthopedic care center. During the pandemic, he finished his book called Healthcare from the Trenches, an insider account of the complex barriers of the U.S. healthcare from the provider's and patient's perspective. His goal is to generate awareness and educate us on how insurance companies and government regulation are causing healthcare costs to skyrocket and how it affects a clinician's ability to provide us care. 
Well, I want to discuss this cost savings analysis that you provided to your local government, which I thought kind of puts the nail on the head, you know, with regard to the cost savings that can be achieved through going directly to the right physician or, you know, going through the current system. And, you know, you talk about this, it's de Quervian's tendonitis and, you show the example that the traditional system goes through the primary care, which puts them through months of therapy, which is painful and not helpful. And then, you know, going into a clinic like your orthopedic urgent care slash ER, there's a cost savings. And, and that's pretty significant. I mean, the traditional system, it was, you could save the county of Miami almost $10 million a year in the city of Miami, $1.3 million. I mean, that's insane. And, yet, and that's just with the workers' compensation. So if you look at just in general, you know, employer health, so just the employees in both those government entities, you know, little Johnny gets hurt playing soccer. There's a cost associated with that, not to mention that, you know, mom or, or dad may take a half a day off of work to take that kid to the uh, doctor. And many times here in Miami, they'll go to the children's hospital and then they'll They'll they have to go to the orthopedist. The orthopedist is two weeks out with appointments. I mean, it's a mess. But the numbers I stated are, are actually well researched by our team. And um, what it what it's basically said is that if all of the work comp claims, the orthopedic claims for our county and the main, the largest city in Miami Dade County, which is which is Miami, if those workers came to a specialized orthopedic walk-in center like like ours, as opposed to a general urgent care, the hospital, and occupational health center, which is where most of them go to because they have a contract. I mean, the occupational health center is staffed many times by a family practice doctor who's making an hourly rate and they're doing the best they can. I'm not knocking them, but it's like you coming to me for an eye problem. I mean, I'm an MD, but I really don't know about the eye. So everybody walks out, unless it's a very obvious injury, these workers come out with the, like uh, all the time a shoulder sprain. Look, I'm a shoulder surgeon. I don't even know what that means. I know what an ankle sprain means. It really isn't a shoulder sprain. It's not really even an entity, but it's just a very general term. They'll give some, you know, an anti-inflammatory, they'll order therapy, and all of a sudden, that's money. So the decrovanes is a type of uh, tendonitis. Uh, some people call it mommy wrist, because you'll see it actually postpartum. So a lot of women will have this, and they think it's from picking up the baby, uh, or workers think it's from doing heavy work. It's usually a, a hormonal metabolic problem. The, the tendons get a little bit thickened and swollen and they get stuck. So an astute clinician who sees this all the time knows that in 85% of the cases, a single injection of a corticosteroid will resolve the problem within two days. But most of these patients come in with an MRI where my med tech knows, oh, Dr. B, there's a, there's a decorvase patient. The syringe is ready for you in the ultrasound room. Boom. She knows that. But no, they, these patients come to me or to even to the ortho now after eight weeks of treatment where they're not any better. They've had an MRI. They've had therapy. And at that point, many times now they do need a minor surgery because they don't respond as well to the injection as if they had been seen early in the course of the tendonitis. That's just one clinical example that outlines the issue. And then we looked at the number of work comp claims. And that's, that's how these numbers got calculated. And they're actually very conservative. I mean, they're very conservative. It's unbelievable the amount of money that's spent because the people in charge of this simply aren't listening to us. And we're trying to tell them, look, we're in the trenches. We understand this. 
the patient, if they went to the right person early on, they'd be off work for less time. We would expend less resources. And, and you know, the human factor, which is the part I care about as a doctor, it's very painful for me to listen to somebody who's had shoulder pain for five months. And they said, you know, doc, I kept asking them to send me to the specialist. And now they do. And the person who makes the decision is a insurance adjuster sitting maybe in Orlando or, or somewhere else in the country. That's really how medicine's being practiced. And I think people don't understand that. Well, let's talk about how you propose, you know, we start changing the system because you, you mentioned some of those. You state that the change has to be, I like this, demanded by beleaguered clinicians and the potential patient through grassroots efforts of education, awareness, and collaboration. You could have each listener have a call to action following this podcast episode, you know, either as a fellow clinician or a real estate investor that focuses on the healthcare real estate asset class. What would it be? Well, I think we, we need to make a move towards basically getting the, the patient to the right clinician at, at the right time. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.